What's up, you guys? I'm Andrea. And I'm Haley. And you're listening to Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Hello and welcome back. Um, today, I guess I'm just going to dive right into today's case, jump right in, yeah. backflip right in. Yeah, happy December. That's, yeah. That's the only really thing that's changed since yeah. the last episode. <laughs> it's a new it's a new month and the mm-hmm. holidays, whichever one you celebrate, they're all kind of right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, but today I'm going to be covering a disappearance, um, a missing persons case. It's been a while, I feel like, since we've covered one of these. Um, and that's kind of one of the main reasons why we do what we do. So I wanted to kind of get back to it and cover a missing persons case this week. And I'm going to be covering the disappearance of Erin Marie Gilbert. And I don't think I know this one at all. I, I don't even know where I was like reading an article about another case and this one popped up and I was like, I'd never heard of her or her disappearance and I wanted to cover it. It's been a while since she went missing. Um, but you know, people get found all the time, no matter how long they've been missing. So, yeah. Are you tired of the same old game nights with friends and families playing the same old games? If you're like me and love game nights, but are looking for something new, you should check out Hunt a Killer. Hunt a Killer is a mystery entertainment brand that produces immersive narrative mystery games. They have a variety of themes and realistic tones, and they're really immersive with evidence and clues to help you solve the mystery. And it's such a fun, different type of game to play at game night that gets everyone involved and is a little bit different than your traditional board games. I agree. The first box we received was the Supernova box, and it was so freaking awesome. Inside, it included a high-quality action figure named Nova, which my son was obsessed with, a lockbox that you had to figure out the code in order to open it and receive all of your clues, and you get a ton of really neat clues to help you solve your mystery. Just like real detective work, you must establish means, motive, and opportunity for each suspect. So cool, right? That's really awesome and so fun. Right now, Hunt a Killer is having a month of mystery. 30 days with 30 deals and 30 moments of mystery. And one full month of new product announcements, limited edition merch, and exclusive killer discounts. You can head over to Hunt a Killer at huntakiller.com slash inhuman and use code inhuman to take advantage of the killer discounts and limited edition merch during their month of mystery. That's www.huntakiller.com slash inhuman and use code inhuman to take advantage of the discounts during the month of mystery. Okay. So, Erin Marie Gilbert was born on May 4th, 1971 in Everett, Washington. Erin was the youngest of three children, and they were all girls. I couldn't find her mother's, her, like, biological mother's name, but her dad's name was Kurt. And from what I understand, um, 
he kind of was the, I guess, more dominant parent or the primary parent. Um, so I assumed that their parents were divorced. Um, okay. But I couldn't really confirm that one way or another. But that's kind of the what I got from the information that I was able to obtain. Got it. Her older sisters were Stephanie and Catherine, and they were a very tight-knit family. As a child, Erin was very social and outgoing. She was a people lover and just loved to make people laugh. People were just generally drawn to Erin. She just had that type of personality and that kind of spark that just drew people to her naturally. And she had a lot of friends and was very involved in a lot of different things throughout her school age years. She loved sports and enjoyed playing volleyball, basketball, track, and softball. And she played those mostly during high school. Wow, she did a lot. Yeah. She definitely had height on her side, standing at 5'11". Wow. In her teenage years. And not only did Erin excel in sports, she was also an excellent student. She graduated high school with a 4.0 GPA. Wow. After high school, Erin had dreams of becoming a writer, and she loved writing poetry. She also had many other interests as a young adult, such as photography and modeling, and she thought she may want to eventually attend cosmetology school. So in 1994... Erin was living in San Francisco with her father. Her sister, Stephanie, whose husband was in the Air Force, was stationed at the Elmendorf Air Force Base in Anchorage, Alaska. And Stephanie had been trying to talk Erin into moving up to Alaska with her. For one, she wanted to help her sister be able to save money so she could go to college. And she kind of wanted... The company. Her husband often traveled out of town for work, and Stephanie didn't like being home alone so much with her two small children. Yeah, I mean, that makes so sense. So it seemed like, you know, a good scenario for both of them for Aaron to move up to Alaska. Yeah. So eventually, Aaron agreed, and off she went to start this new adventure in Alaska. And before she moved up there, she was able to obtain a job as a nanny for a family in Eagle River, Alaska. Nice. And it seems like she did some nanny work or, you know, nanny jobs when she was living in San Francisco as well. Um, so she kind of had that already going for her. Okay. So Erin, being the social person that she was, immediately wanted to start going out so she could meet new people. Typically, Stephanie and her husband would hang out on the Air Force Base, but Erin wanted to venture out a little bit further and go into town. So there was a bar in Anchorage called Chilkoot Charlie's, and Stephanie had taken Erin there, I, I guess, a couple of times before. And so just because she was familiar with that place, she enjoyed frequenting there when she would go out. Okay. One evening, while she was at Chilkoot Charlie's, Erin met a man named David Combs. The two spent some of the night talking, flirting, getting to know each other, and before leaving the bar, Erin gave David her phone number. A couple of days later, David called Erin and asked her if she'd be interested in going out and wanted to know if she would like to attend the Girdwood Forest Fair with him which was in the neighboring village of Girdwood, Alaska. So according to their website, which 
obviously was probably not around in 1995, but from what I can tell, this was kind of the general consensus for the fair. Okay. Um, it says that the Girdwood Forest Fair is a family fair that has become an annual event in the resort town of Girdwood, which is located 36 miles south of Anchorage. The Forest Fair features Alaskan artists, handcrafted items, exotic foods, and entertainers from all over Alaska. Wow. Okay. That yeah. sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So the two plan to attend the fair that upcoming Saturday, which was July 1st. And this seemed right up Erin's alley, so she was very excited to attend. Aw. Because she was kind of, you know, artsy, and she liked sports, she liked all that stuff too, but she also right. enjoyed, like I said, photography and cosmetology and things like that, and she wrote poetry, so, you know, the artsy kind of stuff was very interesting to her as well. Right. So, on the day of July 1st, David picked up Aaron around 4 p.m., and the two made the trek to Girdwood. And from what I can gather, it was about 40 minutes to an hour to get there. Okay. So while they were there, they were seen by several other fair attendees in and around the fairgrounds, as well as in the beer garden with some of David's friends. Around 6.30 p.m., Aaron and David were seen walking out to the parking lot. This next part of the story is recounted by David and David only as there seems to be no other witnesses as to what took place after he and Aaron left the fair. Damn, okay. So around 6.30 p.m., the two of them decided to leave the fair, but when they reached David's car, his battery was dead due to leaving his headlights on. Okay. David then decided to walk to a friend's house nearby to get some help. And he asks... Aaron to stay at his car um but it's unclear exactly what his plan was because he mentions in his interview later that he was going to get jumper cables but number one you need another vehicle in order to jump and charge a dead battery right and he told police that he brought no one back with him and why would you tell her to stay there it's not like it was open or something like that that you need somebody to watch it like right it's okay that's kind of weird yeah yeah so after about two hours david returns to his vehicle empty-handed to find that aaron is nowhere to be found according to david's statement he assumed that aaron had either gone back into the fair or had gotten another ride home and he claims that he searched for aaron until about 1 a.m so If you think, okay, they went back to the car about 6.30, he probably got, he probably left after trying to start his car, let's say 7, 2 hours, 9. So basically from 9 p.m. until 1 a.m., he's saying that he searched for Erin. Searched for her? Okay. And after he could not find her, like I said, he assumed that she must have gotten another ride home, and he decided to try and start his car one last time in hopes that it would start up again, and sure enough, it did. So David drove home. At 7 a.m. the next morning, David called Aaron's sister Stephanie to see if she had made it home safely, and she informed him right away that Aaron had, in fact, not returned home that night. He told Stephanie how he had basically, you know, the car wouldn't start. He had went to look for a friend's house. He couldn't find it. He searched for Aaron till 1 a.m., and then he returned to his own home. 
Stephanie was shocked because this was completely out of character for Aaron not to come home. She had never done something like this before in the past. And her family always considered her to be very responsible. And naturally, this made Stephanie very uneasy. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. So concerned for her sister's safety, Stephanie and her family immediately got into their car and made the trek to the fairgrounds to look for Aaron. Like, why wouldn't you call somebody before you start looking? Like, why wouldn't you call her family and be like, hey, did she come home before you spent four hours looking for her? Like, that's a little weird. Agreed. So Stephanie and her family were able to walk around the fairgrounds and they asked vendors and just fairgoers if anyone had seen or spoken to Aaron. And there were several eyewitnesses who had seen or interacted with Aaron and David the day before. They were even able to make an announcement over the loudspeaker about Aaron as well. When Stephanie was still unable to locate Aaron, she called police and reported Aaron missing. And according to a statement later made by Stephanie, when she spoke to David, he was very cool, calm, and collected about Aaron being missing. Hmm. So that was kind of a red flag for her. Yeah. By now, you guys know how we feel about microdosing. So many people are microdosing in order to feel better and reach their goals. Which is why we are so excited that today's episode is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver the perfect entry-level dose of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. I personally love using Microdose Gummies when I'm having a difficult time unwinding from a hectic day. They just help me chill out and help me sleep like a baby, which if you know me is important because I have very bad insomnia. Same. I like to take microdose gummies when I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, which is happening a lot lately thanks to the holidays, and I need to focus and hone in on my to-do list for the day. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code INHUMAN to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. The best part is microdose gummies are available nationwide. Links can be found in the episode description, but again, that's microdose.com and use code INHUMAN for free shipping and 30% off your first order. When Stephanie initially spoke to the Alaska State Troopers, they were basically blowing her off, stating that Aaron was an adult and it had been less than 24 hours since she was last seen. that drives me crazy the family knows i know like just put out an apb or whatever they call it Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. do something just something just a little something Something. just try yeah so stephanie being the badass that she is decided to take matters into her own hands and she went to a local news station with a picture of of aaron and asked them to share the picture during one of their news broadcasts that day Wow, that's smart. Yeah, which is like, everyone do this. If anything, God forbid, happens to your family member, go straight to the news because that seems to be yeah. like the best best case scenario. Yeah, that's really If the smart. police are not willing to do anything, right. you know, 
quickly. But even if the police start looking, like, that's still a smart thing to do then after yeah, you go to the that's police. that's true. Like, no, that's very Just because true. the police are looking doesn't mean necessarily information will get out to the public. That's very true. And, you know, Stephanie hoped that someone in the community had seen Aaron. After this, Alaska State Troopers got it together and they organized a large search for Aaron utilizing helicopters and search dogs, but unfortunately their efforts were in vain. There was absolutely no sign of Aaron in the vicinity of the fairgrounds. Okay, that's weird. Yeah. So at this point, Aaron's father, Kurt, flew into Anchorage to help search for his daughter. And in one of the articles I read, he was pretty discouraged because he did not realize how vast Alaska was and how much Mm. of it is just open land, forest. Right. You know, wild animals. Exactly. So he was, he was pretty discouraged once he realized that. So police asked Aaron's family if they thought she would ever willingly disappear. And they stated there was absolutely no way she would leave them without saying where she was going voluntary voluntarily. As I mentioned before, Aaron was very, very close with her family. Yeah. In the initial stages of the investigation, David was very cooperative. He gave police his account of events that evening several times. And his account of what happened that evening never faltered once. Okay. But police were never actually able to corroborate his story either. Okay. So while so he, he stuck to his story. Right. There was also no proof. No, he had no. Right. Yeah. He had no witnesses to cooperate what had happened. Okay. According to him. It's also worth noting that. David did not help in any of the search efforts for Aaron after she disappeared. So you spent four hours searching on your own, but then you're not going to help in coordinated search efforts that could help? Yeah. And this le- this left, like, a really bad taste in my mouth because I can understand, like, okay, after maybe one search, you weren't dating, dating her. It's not like you guys were boyfriend and girlfriend. Right. But... I I mean, yeah, like you said, you search for her for four hours, allegedly, and then you don't want to help when there's an official search where there's, like, police and and dogs and... Yeah, no, that's that's weird because how many people go out and help in those, like, official searches that have no connection to the person or anything? And then this person who was the last person seen with her who claimed to have searched for four hours, like... You're just not going to be involved Involved? in those searches. That's really weird. It is. I mean, to play devil's advocate, we never know how you're going to react in a situation like that. But to me, that just feels very odd. Yeah. Because I was was, like trying to reason with myself and play devil's advocate with myself. And I was like, maybe he just wasn't that into her. Maybe that's, But even if so, like, even if you didn't like her, it's still a person is missing. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Yeah. That rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. And after his initial interviews with police, David since has refused to speak with anyone regarding Aaron's case. Oh, wow. Okay. 
While he is not currently considered a suspect by police, the Alaska State Trooper Cold Case Unit does want to speak with him again and have been trying to reach out to him for years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I do partially get it because, like, I'm sure a lot of people suspected him at the time, so he's, like, probably trying not to be suspected, but also Mm -hmm. if you're innocent, then, like, get a lawyer and go talk to them. Yeah, exactly. So when Stephanie and her husband, Dave, or when Stephanie and her husband first met David, their impression of him was not great. Aaron introduced him to her family and her brother-in-law asked David to take off his sunglasses so he could get a better look at him. Stephanie and her husband were kind of put off by this because despite sunglasses being pretty much a requirement in Alaska during June and July when the sun never sets, right. it seemed to them kind of disrespectful, you know, meeting him for the first time to not automatically remove his sunglasses. Right. I get that. And they also mentioned, like, you know, they lived on a base, so everyone had their hair cut short, no facial hair, you know, they would wear sunglasses in their car, but not, like, in a house. So when they met David, he had long hair, I think he had a little bit of facial hair, and he was wearing sunglasses, so it was kind of, I guess, jarring to them, like, the contrast of what they're used to and, like, seeing him. Right. And then they felt disrespected, like, when he didn't automatically remove his sunglasses which i think i would too i don't know yeah it's hard to say because like if you're inside and someone's like it it seems like they're trying to conceal something you know i agree being inside like if i met someone outside i wouldn't expect them to take off their sunglasses but you walk into a house you take off your sunglasses like yeah and it made me and this is completely like has nothing to do with anything completely off topic, but it made me think of like watching big brother and when they are pissed off or they're crying, oh, they always wear yeah. their sunglasses inside. So yeah. I was like, what was he like? What was he thinking that day? You know? Right. Yeah. No, that's a little, that's a little odd. Yeah. Aaron's family continues their search efforts for her. Stephanie has made regular trips to Girdwood after Aaron went missing to search for her sister. She covered the town in missing persons posters, but unfortunately, her efforts led nowhere. In 1996, Stephanie and her family relocated to Washington, but she still makes regular trips to Alaska to search for her sister. Police have received a few tips over the years about what happened to Aaron, but nothing substantial came out of any of those tips. Of course. The Gilbert family has put up a $35,000 reward for any information leading to the recovery of Aaron. And if you have any information about where Aaron is or could be, please call the Alaska State Police at 907-428-7200 or Lieutenant Randy McFerrin, the investigator assigned to Aaron's case, at 907-269-5611. You can also leave tips on the Finding Aaron Marie Gilbert public Facebook page set up by Aaron's sister, Stephanie, and I'll have all of this information listed for you guys in the show notes. Aaron was 24 years old when she went missing in 1995. She would now be 51 years old. Wow. I know. She has hazel eyes and brown hair, and at the time of her disappearance, she was 5 feet 11 inches tall and weighed about 145 pounds. She was last seen wearing a black and white striped shirt, 
black jeans, a black leather jacket with brown mountain boots. Her hair had been cut into a short bob shortly before she went missing, but she also liked to wear it very long as well. Erin also has a tattoo of a blue flower on her right side of her chest, on the right side of her chest. This case leaves me with more questions after I researched it than I had before I dove into the details. Yeah. Like for starters, why did David have his headlights on in his car if it was July and it was basically sunny 24-7? Oh, that's a good point. Why did he take Aaron with, why didn't he take Aaron with him to look for his friend's house? Mm-hmm. That's, that's really weird to me. Like, either be like, oh, find another ride home, which obviously would be shitty, but like, say something like that, or yeah. take her with you, or be like, go back to the fair and I'll come get you when my car's working. Like, you don't just be like, right. wait at my car for me to go, no, that's weird. Yeah. And then... Why didn't he ask around the fair for someone with jumper cables? To me, that would make more sense than walking somewhere that you're not. You obviously didn't even know where you were going because you never found your friend's house and you came back empty handed. Yeah, that's really weird. Why did he wait until 7 a.m. to call and check on Aaron? Mm -hmm. That's like, wouldn't that again? I said this earlier. Wouldn't that be the first thing you would do? Or like maybe you look around for her. Don't find her okay, I'm going to call her family, especially since you know them, and say, like, hey, did she make it home? I was with her, and now she's not here. Right. And I'm taking into consideration the fact that, you know, most people don't have cell phones in 1995. You got to go to a payphone, which I'm sure there was payphones at the the fair. Um, Yeah. But, you know, even still, he could have called when he got home, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a little weird to me. Another weird thing is why did they drive almost an hour away to only stay at the fair for a little over an hour if you remember she was picked up by him at four they drive a little under an hour to the fairgrounds which puts them there we'll say around five once they park and all that and then they were seen leaving the fair around six thirty. makes no sense yeah unless they were not having a good time unless something happened unless yeah i don't know i mean i'm speculating here but and just the fact that like nobody can corroborate that like they walked away together and she stayed at his car while he and his car was dead like obviously Mm -hmm. i get that like there might not have been people around but also you're at a fair how is there nobody that saw this happening there was evidently tons of people at the fair that day yeah and the fair did not it closed out, I think it was either 10 or 11 p.m. that night, so there should have been people coming and going. And that's weird to me that he said he was around looking until 1 a.m. If the fair was closed and your car broke down or isn't starting and you don't have any way to restart it because you never found your friend's house. like. Mm-hmm. But it magically started. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, it just magically no. this started is after just, searching. Mm-hmm. This is just... Leaves a bad taste in your mouth, right? Yeah. Yep. And lastly, why haven't they been able to speak with David? Why is he avoiding police now? If he was willing to cooperate in the beginning, why not clear your name? I mean, you're not considered a suspect or, I guess, a person of interest, but 
like you said, lawyer up, talk to police, clear your name, move on with your life. Yeah, it's fine. Get a lawyer. Like, that's totally fine. We know what can happen. But like, yeah, talk to police. Like, <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't like it at all. I don't yeah. like it one bit. But that is the case of Erin Marie Gilbert. As I said, if you or anyone you know has any information leading to Erin's recovery, please call the Alaska State Police. And I will have um, in the show notes the Facebook page for Erin, um, which they do update regularly. Um, I joined it when I was doing the research for this case. So you can find updates there. Um, unfortunately, there has not been any real updates in this case but but i don't know know. that yeah it just it's really weird to me that just everything with david is just weird like i don't i'm not blaming him i'm not saying anything but it just all is a little bit odd Mm -hmm. like when you put it all together the fact like what he claims happened the fact that he searched for four hours but didn't search in the official search, the fact that he didn't call the family sooner, like just yeah. everything about that just seems odd to me. And it's so frustrating that he won't talk. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But that is the case of Aaron Marie Gilbert. Um, hopefully this case will get closure at some point. Um, hopefully David will come forward and, and talk to police again. But... That is all I have for you guys today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I will be posting all the information that I have about this case on our Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you tune in over there. But we will catch up with you guys on Thursday with a brand new case. And until then, keep it human. Bye, guys.